morning, George. Good morning, Sonia. Good Welcome. morning. Good morning. Welcome back to The Moving Project. We are here to launch our season two of The Moving Project, and I'm very happy to be uh, joined by George and Sonia on this project, two students from Ottawa U, um, two former president of the Student Association of the Law School, which I was part as well 20 years ago. So <laughs> it's an honor for me to be uh, with Youngster, and, and we be, uh, we're going to try this season to talk more about um, the identity, how we see Canadian identity, Canadian values, and we will spend the next few weeks interviewing newcomers to Canada, students that are joining our college, our universities, and dreams about moving to Canada. So I was taking this opportunity to discuss what's the value that defines the Canadian identity, because it's something that is not settled yet. And I, I, I really believe that getting a better understanding and appreciation of what the indigenous people means for Canadians and the relationship we have with them as well as language, culture, those are a big part of the Canadian identity and all the symbols that define Canada identity. And so this is what we were going to be talking today. And I want to recognize the impact um, of the promotion of gender equality and the protection of human rights for Canadians and cultural diversity um, in shaping our country. And finally, and this is why I'm happy that you joined me, both of you, because you represent multiculturalism of Canada. And it's at the center, in my view, of what defined Canadian identity and Canadian values. The question of what it means to be Canadian, what moral, political, or spiritual perspective it involves, has been a difficult and much debated one. Some people see the question itself as central to that identity. The main reason for this is that Canadians have never reached anything close to a consensus on a single, unified conception of the country. According to some observer, this is because fundamental social division prevents such a conception from taking shape. First, there is a separation between the indigenous people and the European colonists and their descents. That would be a good way to identify myself as my generations, my family generations. I've been here for 13, year, 13 generations on my dad's side and five generations on my mom's side. So I, don't, I cannot consider myself an immigrant in some perspective. The second, there is... Separation between the famous two solitude. This term referred originally to those colonists with either French or British ancestry. And we can get into that debate that been the political and defining the political scene of Quebec and, and, and Canada for, for many years. And I think it's important to see the perspective of how the language and the culture have played into defining how Canada is governed. And finally, and I think that's the most important us for us, the third extensive immigration after the Second World War has produced a polyethnic society. Some see that as incompatible with a unified idea of the country. And this is where I want to dive in because Canada cannot keep growing without immigrants. Canada will continue to have waves of immigrants. We're now aiming at getting half a million new immigrants every single year. This is more than 1.5 to 2% of growth of our population. And that's beautiful because I have, Canada have a beautiful land. So um, this is a little bit what I want to achieve today and having this discussion with you. And let's start with you, George. What, what's your background? Where are you from? And tell us more about you. So thank you, uh, Mikael. That's an excellent introduction. So I'm uh, George Monastiriakos. I'm originally from uh, Laval, Quebec. I'm a law graduate from the University of Ottawa. I studied at McGill University before that. Um, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm interested in politics, immigration, of course. Um, and uh, I guess that about sums it up for me. And what about you, Sonia? Tell us more about your background. Well, first of all, it's a pleasure to be back for season two. And I think that what we're going to talk about in this, in this season is so important, not only for the future, but also to understand why we spent so much time in season one talking about immigration programs for entrepreneurs. Canada is the best country in the world. It's ranked number one. And I think one of the reasons why it's such a great country is because although we are all different, that's what makes us united. And we have such an accepting country. So um, my name is Sonia. I am a fourth year um, civil law student. I'm also um, 
completing at the same time a bachelor's in international development. Mm. I am. I grew up on the south shore of the island of Montreal um, to two parents that immigrated here in 1997. So uh, they both come from different countries. But what I love about Canada is the fact that whether it's at home or outside, it's so welcoming and you're always able to live your own truth in, in your life with your culture and in Canada in general. So I'm very excited to, to so which speak co- more. Wh- which country their parent, your parents were coming from? So uh, my father is from Algeria and my mother, she was born in Ukraine. And so it's very interesting because they both come from countries that do not necessarily have the con- uh, great concept of democracy. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the, and they decided to come in Quebec because like my father always tells people he wanted to live America in French. <laughs> so that's, that's why. And they, they left Canada. They wouldn't s- switch it for anything in the world. And uh, I feel very lucky. I feel like I won the lottery by being born here. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And what about George? Uh, where your parents come from? Um, so uh, my dad was actually born in Canada the Greek parents, and my mom was born in Greece, the Greek parents as well. Yeah. Uh, my family came here in uh, the late 1960s on my mom's side, yeah. uh, primarily because my grandfather's brother um, was already here, and I mean, uh, yeah, they sponsored your family. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So... Um, yeah, for, for me, growing up in Montreal, well, I mean, in Laval, I grew up in a very uh, multicultural community in Chamonix. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to Greek school in elementary uh, for elementary, so I learned Greek, French, and English. Yeah. It was, uh, it's something that is very surprising when I go back to Greece, for example, and I tell them, yeah, I went to school and I learned in Greek. Yeah. Uh, Greek history, uh, Greek Orthodox religion, uh, we even, I mean... It was it was very unique, and I think that's something that's uniquely, probably uniquely Canadian. Yeah, having I know that uh, Armenian community has a similar program, uh, Jewish community, of course, in Montreal as well. So uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm 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 excited to be here too for season two as well. So thank you for yeah, I know, and, and you're joining us this season, so it's going to be very interesting to get your perspective on this and. And the multicultural background. So I want to jump in in a discussion with you because the aspect, the relationship of the current government in Canada towards the indigenous people and the discussion that most politicians have been having for as long as I've been observing politics, um, it's a challenging discussion between our the political institutions and and the indigenous people. And when we look at this from the immigration perspective, it's very interesting because there's always debate in the society on whether we should have more or less immigration. And we often see ourselves and, you know, being white Canadians and what we call the source, um, and some people kind of, go into of, of, of my families or, or I can see discussions where they say, oh, we, we, we're here first, it's our way. And, but then you look at the indigenous people and they could have the same perspective than that debate against immigration that, that, that we have in our society sometime and that we see more and more in the, the right-wing um, side of the spectrum, of political spectrum. Um, so I want to hear you, like, how do you see this dynamic going on between indigenous people and the parallel we can do with the immigration debate? I'll let you begin, Jake. So um, I think in terms of reconciliation, I think that uh, we still have quite a long way to go in Canada in terms of uh, reconciling between, I guess, the colonist portion of the Canadian population, which is the overwhelming majority, yep. and the indigenous population of, of Canada, particularly as pertains to um, residential schools, for example. Mm-hmm. I think we've taken a step in the right direction, inviting the Pope here uh, just a couple of weeks ago, yep. and uh, taking a tour of Canada, Edmonton, Quebec, uh, Nunavut, and uh, apologizing to communities. I don't know if that's enough for the communities, given how yeah. deep those wounds go. Yeah, But 
I, I also think that there's another interesting perspective here because, like you said, 13 generations mm-hmm. for on your dad's side. Yeah. That's a long time. It's a long right? time, man. So, I mean, you've, your family's been here for centuries. Yeah. Right? Literally. Literally, yeah. S- so, I mean. Well, when I look at my DNA, I did a 23andMe, and my origin has nothing to do with Canada. I'm European. Wow. And, and, and because we still define it this way. There's no such things at the moment. There's indigenous people origin in terms of DNA, the way it's qualified, scientifically speaking. And there's European. I have a mix of European, like I'm a British, Irish, French, um, northern part of Europe. I, that's probably my Viking blood, you know. <laughs> and um, but but in terms of having French Canadian DNA, there's no such things. There's no such thing. So this is why I have a one person, which I passed to my son, which is very interesting, actually. I had this one person of indigenous blood, right? And it's very interesting in, in that sense um, because obviously I don't identify myself as an indigenous person. Um, but I identify, identify myself as a Canadian. And my, my identity in that sense is very strong. I mean, I carried it for 20 years around the world. Uh, while I lived abroad, and I have my Kenyan passport flashing that around. So, um, no, no, no. I would not say that I have any type of indigenous rights. Um, Reconciliation is important. The challenge I have with that debate is to say, how do we harmonize this vision that I'm an immigrant too? Actually, I want to consider myself more as an immigrant on the land. And the minute we start saying this, that 200 years, 300 years is just part of that melt-up of different cultural background. And that's what we're going to talk later on. How do we integrate our new immigrant and we educate them that there was First Nation here on the land? But how do we go further and we have this conversation that they're as Canadian as I am? And we start that debate of origin. And this will allow us to move forward on welcoming more people because we're all part of one community. It's been a thousand years for indigenous people that they were on this land. It's been for 300, 400 years for my family on this land. And some new immigrants like your parents, they've been around for 30, 40 years. And there's new immigrants every week that land in Canada. If the society want to keep growing with solid values, and we can talk about what those values are, um, I, think we, I think we need to reconcile the fact that the indigenous people needs to join us. And, and, and this is where I have a very hypocrite, like the, the sense of, of imposter when I have this discussion saying, well, okay, I'm the typical white dude, right? Like having this conversation. Can I have this conversation? Can I say that, that I want the indigenous people to... S- to be part of this integration. They were here first. Well, if I can add something to put it into perspective, um, from what I've learned from you know, my experiences, I always try to not talk for the indigenous peoples of Canada just because I think you know, they, they, are, the, they are the ones that are going to set the terms for reconciliation and for what they want and what they need. Like, it's... Mm-hmm. But um, to put into perspective, um, on my father's side in Algeria, he is um, Kabil. And Kabil, the yep. Kabils, like the Berbers, they are considered as the indigenous people of North Africa. They've been here mm-hmm. for 10,000 years. And yep. one thing that I know is a very big fight in Algeria is the recognition mm-hmm. of our language, of our culture, of, excuse me, of our customs, this is what's important for us. It's not to be pitied. It's not to be, in a sense, to give us advantages. It's just to be recognized and treated equally as others. So in in my opinion, I think that's what we simply need to do in the Indigenous people. It's important to recognize them. It's important to recognize what Canada, the institution, has done to them in the past, continues to do to them today. And Simply give them that space to express what they need. And they are 
as Canadian as us. They are part of Canada, you know. In so many places around the world, whenever we talk about Canadian culture, in a sense, they always sh showcase indigenous peoples and, and their cultures. So I think they are an integral part of Canada. They are almost at the base, I, I, I would say. And it's just the, the, the important part is just if we want to reconcile even them with the concept of immigration, we simply just need to recognize them. Yeah. Yeah, as as a as a people of their own, as a culture of their own, mm -hmm. and then what I like to use with that discussions is to neutralize a little bit the anti-immigration discussions mm -hmm. from the right wings, from a certain um, group of people in our society that is growing. I I believe it's it's fair to say that there's a growing fear of the other, and from the moment we start saying like, hey. Scientifically speaking, there's no such things as a Canadian DNA. We were not here long enough. Canadian society been evolving over the years through multiculturalism, and there's no such things as white people in Canada. More than there's Greek and Ukrainians and and Chinese and Vietnamese and and other community. Um, it's kind of neutralized the debate a little bit. And I, I, I love that aspect of being able to say, like, we're all from somewhere else, some other places, sorry. Like, we're all from somewhere else. And over the years, we build this beautiful multicultural society, and then we need to welcome more to keep growing that with strong structure, strong values that allow us to move forward together. And then and then when once we recognize that, I feel like we're going to have some win in her cell, like to be able to move faster. Um, so I, that's my that's my two cents on it. Yeah. And I think that um, when I, tr I when I look at um, these anti-immigration um, movements, what I have, obviously what we find the most a lot that is is uh, ignorance. It's just that you know they they are not aware of the many facets of other people's lives, cultures. But I think what's the most important is, is that people are scared of other people's values. Yeah. When you grow up in other countries, I'm not going to name a particular country, but for example, if you just go to Asia or the Middle East, they have completely different values, completely different lifestyles than what we are used to in Canada. And I think though that we can reconcile that fear of immigration that in a sense... Uh, people that just don't want to have immigrants with the fact that we we just need to ensure that the people that come here understand Canadian values that like you've said before, multiculturalism, gender equality, which is very important. Yep. We also have the rule of law, which is... W Fundamental in our society. For for us, it seems like something that's so natural, especially we've all... You know, we're all in the in field school. of law, but this is not something that is given to everyone around the world. So yeah. as long as we make sure that the people that come here understand that these are Canadian values, you're free to be whoever you want. Freedom is one of also the pillars of our society. But just to be aware of these values, I think if we ensure that this is done in the right way, we'll be able to push a little bit this fear of immigration. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I would like to just add to that. I think that... In terms of Canada, uh, geopolitically, yep. we're blessed by geography. We have two oceans that protect us from the opposite sides of the world, Europe and Asia. Yep. We also have the most powerful state on earth on our southern border. And, so, and, the, and Santa Claus at the top. Yes, exactly, <laughs> uh, which is basically impossible to traverse yep. uh, unless you fly. So... When you think about that, Canada has the potential to be really one of the most powerful countries in the world. I love that, yeah. It has the potential. When you think about it, we need as many immigrants as possible, not only because we want to build our country internally, but we want to build our country globally. We want to be a global power. Yep. And when you break it down, right now we have an aging population. In 20 years from now, all the baby boomers are going to be retiring. And the working population is going to have to offset all those costs to pay their pensions and to pay uh, to, to, to help support this aging population. 
So um, we 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 need to keep on welcoming immigrants every day, every year. And I would say five hundred thousand is is an ambitious target, but for me, I want the million per year. Yeah, I want to keep growing the population and uh, building this beautiful country of ours and expanding our our influence around the globe. That's it's, it's the best thing for our state, in in my opinion. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh, I always joke about that when I meet potential immigrants, telling them that Canada have the second biggest country in the world, but we have one problem to grow our economy. We don't have enough people. We are, and, and now we're seeing it because unemployment rate is super low and we go to restaurants that are closed on lunchtime because they don't have a chef, yeah. because they don't have waitress. Um, we see it in our tech industry, right? We need more talents to keep growing our business. Otherwise, people will, will go, go elsewhere to work. Um, to grow our economy, we need more people. Absolutely. And if we build it, they will come. The housing problems is a beautiful example of that. We need to build more housing in order to welcome more people. People need a, sh- a roof over their head, right? Um, so we need to gear ourselves. I feel we don't hear enough about this in the, in the, in the public debate. We want immigration. We want to increase our workforce, but nobody's talking about building more house faster. Mm-hmm. And we can even bring bring people to do that. Yeah. And 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 of course, there's union in some provinces that won't like it. There's especially in the construction world. Let's break those walls. Let's break those walls and like be welcoming and and get workers that we can build faster roads and railways and and, and housing, um, because that will allow the country to grow faster. Exactly. And even you just spoke about railways and infrastructures in general. Uh, George and I, we were in Europe last month, like literally a month ago. And what's great about Europe is that you have railways everywhere, trains that go, you know, practically everywhere all around Europe. And when you go look at Canada, we have so many opportunities to create those amazing railways. You remember we saw one that was from Quebec City to Windsor, I think, if Mm -hmm. I'm not wrong, it would be a straight line. And you would be, and this is where 50% of the Canadian population lives, and we do not have a railway. We do not have a train that that is high speed that can take 50% of the uh, Canadian population from one city to another, whether it is to work, whether it is to um, visit. and But the reason is not because we are not able to do it it's just that we don't have enough people to do it we don't have well the cost of it would be too high because we have the technology yeah we clearly have the technology i mean we sell trains to the rest of the world at well it's uh, the the company bombardier had been been selling trains to the rest of the world they're built in europe but they're the technology is from us um so yeah no i think i think opening our doors is is one way to to keep growing our economy um, let's jump in a little bit about this duality. We're all f- francophone. We're all from Quebec. Um, and immigration subject in Quebec is a very, let's call it a hot subject um, in terms of who wants more immigration and, and for which purposes. And the protection of the language, I think, comes at the center of it. Uh, the current government is trying to increase the amount of francophone coming to the country, um, coming to Quebec mainly because they have the right, and I think that's important in terms of um, legal perspective. Why Quebec is so different than the rest of the world, uh, the rest of Canada, um, it's mainly because in 1978 we signed, well, there's multiple treaty over the time, but Quebec signed with the federal government separation of power saying immigration is our rights. We have the rights to choose our own immigrants because our culture or language are different, and therefore we want to grow um, our society encouraging French. So there's a bunch of immigration program that came out of this. And Quebec is probably pretty much the only province with a strong ministry of immigration, a strong capacity to make selection of their own immigrants. And that creates debates until today between federal and and Quebec on what's our rights, what's what's the limits. Some programs are decided by the um, Federal government, for example, sponsorships um, and security remains a federal um, uh, capacity um, because they have more resources to do so. 
but how do we and, and then you have all the other provinces that are trying to come up with program initiative to attract people to their own province. As we said, Canada is a big country, but the concentra- concentration of people in big cities and the line of Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, Ottawa, big concentration of people. Mm-hmm. And you have that separation between the countryside and the city people. Um, so that's that's really interesting as well. Like, and, and you see it in Quebec in the debate for language. Um, how much do you believe we need to go into that internal debate towards the outside world? And I think this is a very good question to ask. And I think actually it's also very interesting. It's very interesting that both George and I are here today uh, and you ask us this question because George and I both grew up in Quebec, but we grew up in two very different um, realities. On my side, my parents, they arrived in 1997. My father spoke French because he grew up in Algeria, but my mother didn't. So at 35, she started going to French classes, and it was very important for her to learn the language, to be able to work, to be able to... For She was determined to, to, with the fact that she was going to spend her life here. She was going to build her life here, so it was important for her to be able to speak the language of the country that she immigrated to. And today, both of my parents speak very good French, and because of the loi 101, law, uh, one, one on one, um, the children of immigrants have to go to French school. Yep, yep. So on my side, I went to a French elementary school and high school, and when I look back at it, this is something that I'm very thankful for, because my French... I consider it to be better than my English. I went to CJEP in English, and that's where I was able to significantly improve my English. But in terms of French, this is not something that you're going to learn necessarily as well as you will in schools in Quebec. Yeah. And when you go outside of the province, the importance that's a lot, um, accorded to French is not as important as it is in Quebec. So... Mm-hmm. In my opinion, I think that it is it is important when you come to a, when you immigrate somewhere that you learn the language. Yep. Obviously, most people speak English, but when you have the chance to come to to Quebec and mm-hmm. you speak French or you are trying to learn French, you're coming with someone who speaks French. Mm-hmm. I think it's a it's a great opportunity for you to expand your knowledge, but just in general, just to 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 respect and understand that when you come somewhere, you have to integrate yourself one way or another. So in in my point of view, and George is going to tell his reality, because mm. we have very different realities, yeah. this is something I'm, I'm all for. Obviously, there, I think that there are some limits on t- as to where the state should go to protect French, but that's a debate for another day. But yeah. in general, I think that that idea of not... Well, Having the children of immigrants to go to French school was a genius idea, mm-hmm. and it's the best way to ensure integration. Yeah. Let me pick you, your brain on something, George. Um, what do you believe the government, how active the government should be between the selections and the integration? So when it comes to language, you know, and, and right after I want to talk about the freedoms and, and the rights that are predicted by the Charter, because it defines our values, I believe. And the language rights is one of them. How the government should react or proactively select French-speaking immigrants, for example, in Quebec, versus or across Canada, right? Because the federal government has been creating programs to attract French-speaking across Canada, and that's that's something we should we should mention as well, versus... I don't want to say assimilation, but integrations of new immigrants. And as you mentioned, the Act 101 is exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. It's making sure that when someone's come to Quebec and he's an immigrant, their kids goes to school. What I call the second generation selections. You select the parents without thinking too much about them. Well, you can think about economic reasons to bring them here. They brings economic impact. But their children will learn French here. And we have tons of money that is invested by our government in this. So what, what do you think of this? And coming from Laval, it's a, I, I believe the question goes to you. So 
I'll start. I'll preface this by saying that Quebec is probably the most homogenous uh, in terms of population. It's the most homogenous province in probably all of Canada. I would say, and I would agree. I, I would I agree think with it you. Really is so. The fact that French is the language that's preferred, I think, in terms of Bill One Hundred One, to contrast with Sonia. Um, Sonia's parents migrated after 1976 when Bill 101 was instituted. My grandparents and my mom uh, migrated before 1976 and 1968 and my dad's side of the family in the early 1960s. Yeah. So I was grandfathered into the English school system. <laughs> Interesting. So I grew up, and this is one of, my, one of the pitfalls of Canadian, or I guess Quebec immigration. I grew up in what I call um, the ghettoization in Canada. So my community, when Sonia first visited my community in, in Shamadi, there was <laughs> Greek flags everywhere. Yeah. There's Lebanese yeah. flags, Moroccan flags. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. It's, and so um, all the Greeks stick together. Yep. All the Armenians stick together. All the, uh, the Jews stick together. And this is something that I don't think everybody realizes that there is... There, there is a difficulty in integrating these some of these populations that were here, at least before uh, Bill 101, into Quebec culture, yep. into the, the wider society. My grandparents have been here since 1968, yep. so that's 54 years. Mm -hmm. And they don't, my, my, my mom's parents, they don't speak Greek. They don't speak English or French. They only speak Greek. Yeah, yeah. They don't speak English or French. They've yeah. been here for 54 years. Yeah. They're in their mid to late 80s now, 84. My grandfather will be 88 in October. But they do not speak English or French. They've always relied on the kids or the grandkids to go with them to anything that has to do with the government. Yeah. But, but you're the success of this. You speak French and English perfectly. And Greek, of course. And Greek, of course. But the interesting thing is... This was possible because there's a Greek supermarkets in my neighborhood. There's Greek accountants, Greek lawyers, Greek business people, Greek restaurants. So they're really kind of isolated. And I think this is one of the pitfalls. This is one of the difficulties mm. that the Quebec government, and it's probably similar across Canada, yeah. has had in terms of integrating uh, some of the immigrants. And I, I'll, I'll contrast this with the United States. In the United States... Immigrants are more easily integrated, at least after the, the first generation. Yeah. Um, because American identity is so powerful. Yeah. And the Canadian identity, when you contrast it, is yeah. it's still, um, it's kind of ethereal. It's kind of still a debate as to what really is Canadian. Because what is Canadian to me might be different to what is Canadian to, to you, Mike, or yeah. to you, Sonia. So we're still having this debate because our country at the end of the day is only 155 years old. Um, in terms of, to, to answer the question, in terms of involvement uh, as pertains to integrating and selecting, I think that there should probably be less emphasis on selection, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. I think that more immigrants would probably be accepted to Quebec if they were a little less selective in terms of uh, language or... Yeah. Um, and they wouldn't have the labor market shortage that they have right now, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but in terms of us, uh, integrating and, and, and instilling the Canadian values, rule of law, gender equality, human mm -hmm. rights, I think that's, that's, that's crucially important. Yeah. And we should keep doing that because that's what makes Canada, Canada. Yeah. It's, it, when, when, somebody, when I've traveled to countries that don't necessarily have the rule of law yeah. in terms of I have to bribe somebody to, to get move forward or I have to bribe a cop or I have to bribe a bus driver or a, a guy that takes me on a ferry. I mean, it's, that's not something that's Canadian. That's not a Canadian experience. And no. most of the world operates like this. Yeah. yeah. Right? It's interesting, yeah. So I think it's very important that uh, the government keeps uh, instilling Canadian values into... Uh, into our immigrant communities. I absolutely so, so how would you see then the response of the federal government, what I call the Trudeau dream? And Trudeau father um, was trying to establish this beautiful dream, and he was working very hard on establishing it. Huh? That's important when we think about Canadian identity and Canadian values. Trudeau father is the one that created the Canadian Charter of Freedom and Rights. And 
It was signed in 1982, and I think it defines who we are today, 30 years later, and 40 years later, actually. Um, and this dream has been integrated back into policy with the son being the prime minister of Canada when he goes like, let's create programs that will bring Francophone across the country. Quebec is not a monopoly for French-speaking people. Um, let's do more of attracting the right people for our economy and less of we want you to speak French or we want you to, you know, like can we, can we, how do you see that policy of making it French selections across the country, this dream of a Canadian bilingual country? Is it, is it realistic? I think it is realistic. And I'll, I'll, I think that, as Sonia mentioned regarding Bill 101, I think what's important is to educate young people, yeah. children from a young age yeah. to learn these languages. I learned, I only basically spoke Greek until I was four or five years old. I didn't have to speak any other language, yeah. but I'm perfectly trilingual now because in elementary school, I learned English and, and French. Yeah. So I think that bilingualism should be taught all across Canada. That's one of our strengths that we speak to. We could speak two languages. I don't yeah. think it's, it's equal. I think Quebec yeah. is particularly more French and everywhere else is English with yeah. minor exceptions. But I do believe that... Um, our bilingualism is one of our strengths in Canada, and I think that uh, we could do more to attract more French speakers, and maybe that will create French communities in English-speaking parts of Canada. Yeah, um, that's 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 what I, I I strongly believe that this is another one of Canadian strengths. Yeah, that really works to our advantage in becoming a a great soft power mm. on the international stage and attaining our potential. Yeah, really, because there's 220 million French speakers around the world. And being Canadian French speakers, we could influence. I don't want to say influence how things develop there, but we could have this kind of cultural link. Yeah. with These parts of the world. Yeah. It's very important, in my opinion. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And then I move further in that language aspect. The third most spoken language in Canada is Chinese, Mandarin. There's a million Canadians that speak Chinese. And we have this full debate for decades about French English, French English, because it was what was defining us. But now we can move forward, I believe. There's an old saying, you know, like, never laugh at someone that have an accent in English because he speaks another language. Mm -hmm. And I love that expression because I still have my French accent when I speak. Um, but how do we integrate this in the public debate? How do we stop looking at ourselves only from French and English and having Chinese English or Arabic and French or Greek and, um, and French or having French English as official language and then we move forward because there's historical reasons to it. Um, how do you see that? How do you see that, Sonia, like this... It's integrating, integrating other languages into our culture, like being proud of speaking more than two languages. Mm -hmm. uh, I appreciate you asking me this question. And I know we're talking some, you know, I know I use a lot of anecdotal anecdotes to yeah. make my points, but I think it's important to keep like, I just want to keep it simple. But on my side, I speak five languages, mm. five languages that two of them have been taught to me school but three of them were taught to me at home yeah with my parents yeah which is fantastic mm -hmm. really impressive there is and if there's one thing that i know is that speaking more than two languages more yeah. than french and english does not make you any less canadian speaking five languages six languages does not make you any less canadian you are still speaking french in or and or english you're still able to to you're still uh, sticking to the historical languages of, and even then I say historical language, we could even speak about indigenous languages, you know, like, is that also, should that also be part of the languages that we want to promote in Canada? So it's, I think, I think there's, of course, we should move forward because 
there's nothing wrong with speaking more than two languages. There's absolutely nothing wrong. Like mm-hmm. that's very, and there's nothing wrong with having an accent. There's nothing wrong with making mistakes sometimes because what's wrong with learning a language or making an effort? So yeah, yeah. Because I see more and more. Of course, I understand the needs for speaking English when you want mm-hmm. to work in the workforce and integrate the workforce as fast as possible. But I believe if we want to increase our numbers faster. We need to be less focused on making sure everybody speak perfect English mm-hmm. and maybe making sure that we get the right skills of people, the right entrepreneurs, that entrepreneurs don't talk much. They act. <laughs> they do things, right? Yeah. They don't necessarily need to talk to be able to invest in the Canadian economy and to bring the resources from where they come from. They don't necessarily need to have like a seven aisle test result in order to have a successful businesses and hire people and create jobs in our economy. Um, so this obsessions with our policy with regards to languages, I feel we're missing the points a little bit. And I, I have like a kind of theory, you know, we always, we, since the beginning, we're trying to grasp what is Canada, right? What yeah. is the can- Canadian identity? But I think that the reason why there's this kind of obsession with the two languages whether it's learning French or learning English, yeah. is that that's the only thing everyone agrees on. <laughs> that we have, we have two, we have, we're a bilingual country. So yeah. I guess that all, you know, all governments, whether it's the provinces or the federal government, they have this obsession because in, in their point of view, that's, that's the only thing that we can agree on. We can't agree on religion. We can't agree on culture, but we can agree on one thing, language. Yeah, yeah. So I want to add something, actually. I think if we really think about it, immigration in terms of uh, the the level of proficiency you need to have in either French or English, if you think about it, immigration is really a second generation goal. Yeah. When you really think, and my family is perfect evidence of that. Yeah. It's it's like a prime example. (laughs) And I think there's thousands of families across Canada that are also, that could also attest to this. Yeah. But I also think that for example, in terms of uh, growing your, your country and ter- in terms of strategy, um, Singapore, for example, they made, they have a population of Indians, Malays, and Chinese, mm-hmm. and they made English the official language of their country after they gained independence from Malaysia yeah. because they wanted to attract Western investment. And now everyone speaks English, but they also speak another language in the country. So I think there's a lot to be learned there in terms of... Um, embracing languages other than English or even French Mm -hmm. because other people from around the world have a lot to offer this beautiful country and they have their place in this beautiful country if they want it. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a really good point. It's a really good point. So let's jump in because time is flying. I want to define, I want to talk a little bit about the Charter of Freedom and Rights. Um, I think if we go and we talk about the Trudeau dreams, like the Trudeau family of what Canada should look like. Uh, he was very, um, he was a bit of a philosophical dude, Trudeau father, uh, in many aspects. He tried very hard, and that was continued. Of course, we're talking, like, by the liberal government, it's more active in defining what Canada should look like. Um, and the liberal government have been trying to do that for 40 or 50 years now, 50 years, no doubt. And I want to look at the charter and can we be proactively identifying those categories that would define what Canada is supposed to look like or what Canada should aim at moving forward? Um, and as law students, um, I want to hear you about this a little bit. Um, are you good enough to, to, to enumerate the seven categories right off the bat like this? Well... Obviously, there's the the languages <laughs> that we just spoke about. There's the mobility rights. The reason why it came quickly to mind is because of what was happening in January, right? Yeah. Where we had people protesting outside saying, well, I can't get out of the country. That's against my mobility rights. But by, by protesting outside, they were stopping the people from Ottawa to be able to move around the country, uh, the city. Good example. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. that's definitely, and obviously, democracy. Yeah, the democratic, democratic rights. Yeah. 
Um, I think there's the fundamental tr- freedoms as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and maybe something like is that is really important as well in terms of attracting people. It's the legal rights, um, which are linked to the rule of law, mm-hmm. um, but also the rights against being discriminated if you're from other origin or, you know, it needs to be fundamental that it's insider values, that everyone is equal. That very big concept, equality of sex, equality of um, origin based on various factors like skin colors or, or language or, or sexual ori- orientation. Um, what about the minority language educational right? That's one of the rights that allowed you to to evolve in, in the society as well, isn't it, yeah. George? Yeah, I benefited from that. I benefited from that in elementary school. I was able to, to be educated in Greek in Canada, which is something that when I, when I tell people that, they're like very taken aback, very surprised that that's a thing. Um, and I have Armenian friends and Jewish friends that have also benefited from that, and they got to learn their... Uh, their uh, indigenous cultures uh, and get acquainted with their their background. So yeah, I think that it's it's a great thing. And for um, Canadians or for prospective Canadians who are thinking of migrating here, I think this is an excellent way of uh, of getting integrated into the country and mm. investing into the country because mm. um, we accept you. That's that. I think that's what needs to be said canada is inherently at least philosophically a accepting country yeah. and i think that's the uh, in addition to due process i think these are some of the core concepts behind the charter of rights and freedoms yeah it's the yeah. fact that we accept you and you may be different you may not look like me you may not believe the same thing as me but as long as you don't bother me you're free to be you mm. I think mm. that's 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 the the message behind it, and I think it's a very honorable uh, and it's a very Canadian thing. That's yeah. that that's that's what that's what I would say. Yeah, and just to contradict you, what about the chance of opportunity? Is it it's a bit what you're saying as well? Is that the chance of opportunity is that everybody this American dreams a little bit with the Canadian characteristics yeah. of the chance of opportunity? You can come to North America be accepted for who you are and strive in society to become whatever you want to be by having, you know, free educations, safety, good old Maslow pyramid, right? Mm -hmm. At the core of our values, we have this good old, like, you need to be safe. You need to have a minimum amount of food. You need to have, and then it goes up to fulfillment, like the capacity of Accomplish whatever you want to accomplish. And I think that's at the core of what the rights are protecting as well in that sense. Would that make sense? Yep, that's of excellent. Course. That's a beautiful way of putting it. Yeah. 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 And how do we, and maybe we can conclude on this, how the Canadian identity can strive in this diversity? How can we integrate that diversity and we loop around with the indigenous conversation we had at the beginning of how diversity become her identity. How can we have this proud of being from everywhere? And and everybody is part of this conversation and we're all striving to build a more equal and a more safe and a more striving society um, all together. Well, I... First of all, like I think what you said was amazing in terms of Canada is even you know in terms of like statistics ranks it's always it's ranked number one in the world in mm. terms of quality of life. I wouldn't change like I, I wouldn't exchange Canada for any country other country in the world. I mm. think it is amazing and to loop around on like the our whole debate about Canadian identity. I think the most important thing is that. What unites us is our differences. Yeah. We are all different. All of us here, we have different stories. We have different backgrounds, but we're all Canadian and we all love our country. Mm-hmm. And I think that the 
the, what's important in that whole debate for immigration is that everyone comes here to have a better life. Yeah. Everyone comes here to build a better life for their children, their grandchildren, for themselves. And that whole, that entire things makes Canada a better country every day. We all work hard. We all work to make sure that Canada becomes a better country every single day. Nobody wants Canada to become worse, right? That's why we have elections sometimes every two years. But the the point is that we're all Canadian and we should all be very proud of the country we live in. I know yeah. it's very easy to get negative, especially with, I'm sorry, the the political debates right now that are around certain parties in our country. But nonetheless, Canada is a, an amazing country. It's a great country. country. We're very progressive a lot of countries have done certain things to their people and they don't want to admit it, but the fact that our government and our people are so open towards reconciliation and, and mm-hmm. that we want to work with um, the ind- indigenous peoples of Canada shows also that we're going in the right direction. Yeah. So. Yeah. What do you think, George? How can uh, we put multiculturalism at the center of our identity? I think in many ways it already is at the center of the Canadian identity because, like, But both of you have said throughout the course of this interview, um, we all come from somewhere different, but we all come here for the same reason. We want to build a better life for ourselves, for our children, for our families, for our descendants. And by doing that, we also want to build a better Canada. I think it's also important to, to add that Canada is a project. It's a national state project that's 155 years old, and we're the ones, the people that live here are the ones that are building it. Yep. The, the, the workers, the education system, the government, our politicians, our leaders, our businessmen and women, um, the indigenous people, the Greeks, the Ukrainians, the Quebecois, we're all in this together, and we're building it day by day, and it's going to be whatever we make it. Yep. That's, yeah. that's, it's whatever we make it. And I think that provided that we we stay in line with our core values, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, uh, fundamental freedoms and human rights, rule of law, gender equality, and reconciliation with indigenous peoples, I think that we're going to keep being the best country in the world. That's fantastic. I, I truly believe that. Yeah. No, and we're going to be able to strive yeah. to keep building. Yeah. And we're going to keep building on what we built already. Building on on constructions, and and I think that's that's a great way to to move forward and and to welcome more people to our society and and share our values. Thank you so much, George. Thank you so much, Sonia. Thank that's you. that's Thank been you. a very good conversations. And um, now let's take your mic. Let's get out there. I want to hear from the young students that came here with the dream of joining our society. And that's what season two of The Moving Project will be all about. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Have Have a good day. Have an excellent day. Thank you.